It's great to be here. It's good to have chocolates. Um, and as has already been said, I'm going to be speaking about hope this morning and how that links with the idea of Advent. Um, I was away at a conference last week and was really sad to miss all the dedications and saying goodbye to um, Hannah and hello to Dave, but it's great to be back today. So Advent on the Christian calendar represents a time of expectation and waiting. We've got the one candle and then we're going to be lighting some more. Long before Jesus was born, the Old Testament prophets promised that God would send a deliverer, a Messiah or a king who would bring relief from enemies. And the Jewish people lived in hope that God would keep his promise to them. There were two people who stand out particularly in the story in the Bible um, who lived in that hope and they were called Anna and Simeon. And they were old, so it's good that there are old people in the story as well as young people. <laughs> and they lived every day in the temple praying and fasting for the Messiah to come. And what was interesting was that because they lived in the temple like that, because they were praying and fasting, and because they had that expectation that the Messiah was going to come, they were the ones that recognized him when he came as a tiny baby of eight days old. Um, so they were the ones who recognized that this tiny baby was actually the Messiah that God had promised. We're going to come back to Anna and Simeon later in our talk. Um, the normal way of thinking about Advent for us is the idea of counting down the days till Christmas, hence the idea of the Advent calendar. <clears throat> Some of our family have birthdays at the end of November or beginning of December, and so they always get Advent calendars. Um, and of course, this is really good nowadays because Advent calendars are very exciting. Um, you can get chocolates, toys, toiletries, you name it. Um, there's probably an advent calendar that exists for everything. I actually found one that has wine as well as beer, but it wouldn't fit on the slide. <laughs> when I was young, the advent calendars were much simpler. 24 doors on a picture of the nativity. And the excitement was seeing what was behind the door. <laughs> Just a picture, not, not a chocolate or anything. Um, and of course, the other excitement was that every time you opened a door, you knew that you were one day closer to Christmas. As a child, I got very overexcited about Christmas. And as Christmas got nearer and nearer, my tummy aches got worse and worse. And inevitably, my mum would have to take me to the doctors at some point. So the excitement was not always good for me. Um, and actually, I know that the idea of Christmas for everyone is not always exciting or good for us. On the one hand, it's brilliant because the family gets together and we have fun and it's holiday and it's rest. Um, and that's amazing. Um, all of us can probably remember a year or two ago when Boris stole Christmas, and uh, missing it certainly made me realise how much I love it and how, much it, how necessary it is to have that special time when the family can get together. But of course, when we talk about families, we also talk about 
loss and we talk about um, the people that are not there at Christmas and that's where sometimes it can be painful. Um, it can be painful because we might want to give presents to, to our children we might not be able to afford them. Um, so for all kinds of reasons, Christmas is not necessarily a great time for everyone. Nevertheless, we are going to have some great celebrations as we've already looked at our calendar, looking ahead. Um, and I don't want to focus on Christmas today because we're going to be doing a lot of that in the next few weeks. So going back to the idea of Advent and the idea of waiting and what that waiting might look like. What might that waiting for Jesus look like for us? In some ways, the idea of waiting for Jesus is a strange one because we've just spent time, haven't we, singing and worshipping him and actually believing that he's here with us now. Um, that by an amazing miracle, he's not a dead saviour and Lord. He's one who meets with us and lives with us through his spirit, both individually and as a body. So why do we need this idea of anticipating the coming of Jesus at Advent? Well, only because it's a helpful way of thinking more deeply than just what's in front of us or what is here in the now. Some people say that the only thing that matters is now. But the problem of thinking like this is that then we're denying the importance of the past and we're also not considering what we should be investing, how we should be thinking about and investing into the future. So Advent helps us to think about the coming of Jesus in three ways. The first one is Emmanuel, God with us. <clears throat> the amazing story of the God who created the world actually coming into the world, becoming a part of it. And not just kind of zooming down as a man, but coming, becoming a tiny baby, uh, vulnerable. And the idea that he became like us so that we could become like him. And then the second is that we meet him with, with him now, like we had just have been, like we are now. He's here. Uh, the fact that we know him as our saviour and lord and we don't just know about him. And then the third way of waiting for Jesus is the fact that we believe that he's going to be coming back in the future and that he's going to be coming back physically to the earth to finally deal with evil and to finish bringing about the new creation that he started on the earth now. A new heaven and a new earth where there's going to be no more crying, no more suffering and no more pain. All three of these ideas are important as we think about Advent. The story of Jesus is a story that is based in historical fact. Christ, the Son of God, leaves the comfort of heaven and comes as a tiny, vulnerable, needy baby. And he was given a name, Jesus. He did cry and he did have dirty nappies. So don't believe the Christmas carols on that one. <laughs> um, but also the story is based in our daily reality in the present. The Jesus who died and rose again is the one that we pray to 
and that we know that he's with us and that he also prays for us when we don't know how to pray for ourselves and that he's Lord of this earth now and forever. And then also we look forward to this future time based on the fact that God does intend to finish what he started and that he is going to finally bring about the kingdom in its fullness. Paul spoke a few weeks ago about the idea of the kingdom of God as being here and now, but that there's still evil in the world and that there's still a battle going on between good and evil. It's the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. But it won't always be like this. We don't know when it will be, but we do believe that Jesus will return and that he'll come back to finish what he started. But in the meantime, of course, he wants to work with us. He doesn't want us just to sit waiting for that and not do anything. He is actively working in this world to bring about change now, and he's using us to do it. So the coming of Jesus is a story of hope out of hopelessness, a story which affects yesterday, today, and the eternal future. And it's the story that brings hope into today, and it's not just about the future. So let's start with yesterday and think a little bit about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and think about what it might have been like for her to be thinking about meeting with Jesus and encountering him for the first time. Um, it meant for Mary, it meant holding on to Jesus before she could see him. Just like Hannah last week was saying she couldn't wait to meet her baby. For Mary, that's what it was like. He was growing inside her, uh, but soon she would meet him. I want to give a, a little bit of a spoiler alert at this point, because there may be people in the room that find it difficult when babies and pregnancy are mentioned a lot. And the last thing I want to do is to trigger pain. So seriously, if you feel like I'm just going on too much about that subject, please do feel free to go and get a cup of coffee and to take someone out to chat with or, or, or just sit at the back or whatever. Uh, but please don't everyone, <laughs> please don't everyone go. <laughs> so going back to Mary, she could feel him. She could smell him and her body was touching him, but she was still in a time of waiting, a time of trusting in that promise that she'd had when the angel came to her and promised that God was going to give her this baby. She had to believe that the impossible could happen and she had to go through this time of not only having a dream, but she had to protect and nurture that dream no matter what was happening around her. So from what we know about Mary, we know that she was very young, we know that she was still a teenager, and that life wouldn't have been easy for her. Even if she hadn't been told that she was gonna have a child out of wedlock, her life wasn't easy anyway. Uh, she could have been a servant or a slave, we're not sure, but she certainly lived in a household that was poor where she had to work. And we know also that she had to tra travel whilst heavily pregnant, and it was not in a Rolls Royce. <laughs> many women at that time died in childbirth, and many young babies and children didn't survive. And she had to hold on to the promise that God had given to her. Her song, which we find in the Gospel of Luke, 
um, after the angel had visited her, is not just about the baby that she's going to hold and nurture, but it was a prophecy. She was prophesying with her song of what God was going to do for her and for her people. And she understood from the angel that this child was going to bring God's rescue to the world. And just like when Anna and Simeon, they had been people who prayed and looked forward to this Messiah, Mary was like that as well, because she knew the promises that God had given, that the prophets had come and given um, in the Old Testament story. So these are the words that she spoke. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my saviour for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant from now on all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation he's performed mighty deeds with his arm he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. In many ways, this song of Mary captures an impossible dream. As she waited and carried her baby, Mary's heart was opened up to the world around her that needed levelling up. Injustice was all around. The Romans were an occupying army, and this meant that their freedom to be the people they wanted to be was very limited. They were oppressed. Mary spoke out the hope and the dream that God would not give up on his people and would come to the rescue of the poor and the humble and the hungry. Even in the complication of her own personal challenges, um, which were many, her heart was for her people and the wider vision of God's kingdom. So as Mary waited in her advent before Jesus was born, she had to learn to keep dreaming that impossible dream. And as life unfolded before her, even after Jesus was born, there were times when things happened as she expected, and then there were times when things happened as she had not expected, and things surprised her. On one level, she understood that her child's, what her child's life was going to be like, um, but she wasn't in control of the dream. Um, she had to actually sit back and faithfully watch that dream unfurl. I'm sorry if you're feeling that my talk is very focused on women or specifically childbearing type things today, but whether we're old, young, male, female, married, unmarried, single, coupled, um, childbirth is written about a lot in the Bible as a metaphor, not just as a literal event. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about himself in mother language and he talks about himself being in the pain of labour until Christ is formed in the community. So that's a language of hope um, and that's a man speaking and using sort of um, maternity language. So it's not not manly to think about these things. Um, 
We're going to go and look at another woman in the Bible who had to hold on to an impossible dream. And it's someone that the Bible doesn't always speak well of. She's written into the story in quite a negative way. She was a slave who lived thousands of years before Mary. And instead of being visited by an angel, she was forced into being a surrogate mother for her mistress, who was Sarah, the wife of Abraham. As a slave, she had no choice but to do what her owners told her. Her name was Hagar. Because her life was not easy, she ran away and she met with God in the wilderness. And he told her to go back to her master and mistress, which was quite a big ask. I expect it's because God knew that this was going to be the safest place for her to be. Later on, she was cast out on her own, back in the wilderness, with the wild animals and all the dangers of an unsafe world. Dolores Williams, a wonderful womanist theologian who sadly died last week, says that the story of Hagar in Genesis involves slavery, poverty, ethnicity, sexual and economic exploitation, surrogacy, domestic violence, homelessness, single parenting, and radical encounters with God. For this reason, many women, um, theologians, black womenists, any women, um, identify with her story and have found God's presence and favor through reading about her in the Bible. Despite all her challenges, Hagar knew that God was the one who would see her and could see her in whatever situation she was in. She found God to be the one who could make a way when there was no way. Um, God promised her that he would protect her child Ishmael and his children and their children and their children. And God kept his promise to her, even although there were times when she felt that he wouldn't. There were times when she felt like giving up. And there were times when she felt that she wouldn't even survive. Interestingly, when we sing the song Waymaker today, this is the story behind it. And the woman who wrote the song, the Nigerian gospel singer Sinak, was very familiar with the story of Hagar and the way that enslaved women had been helped by her story. So if you remember, if you've sung the song, God is the God who makes a way when there is no way. And God is the one who sees whatever is happening to us in our lives. So that song has taken the story of Hagar, who lived a long time ago before Jesus, and made it into a story which we can enter into today. A story about a saviour who comes to us as a light in the darkness. It's a song and a story that helps us to know God as the one who's for us, even when others don't seem to be. The one who sees what is really going on when others who might think they can see it, don't really understand what's going on. And it's a song and a story that believes that behind the scenes, whatever is going on, God is working for me and my child and my dream. 
God is working through everything and in everything to bring about that destiny that he has called me to. And the words go, even when we don't see it, he's working. Even when we don't feel it, he's working. He never stops working. He is the way maker. Just a little bit of testimony. Steve and I have four children and they're all grown up now. I love them all and I'm very proud of them. When I was pregnant with each of them, it was often a very anxious time, but also obviously a very exciting time and looking forward to being able to hold them and meet them properly. They all had, they have all had trials and challenges um, which they've had to work through in their lives. And as parents, it's always so hard watching, isn't it? As we watch our children go through things. Um, we often wish that we could go through the challenges so that they don't have to. But life is not like that. And we all need to find our way through even when there seems to be no way. Very often the dream that I had for them has not turned out the way I thought it was gonna turn out. And I've realized that my thinking had to change. Um, in order for the dream to come about in the way that God wanted it to. An example of this is that when I was pregnant with our second child, we were told that they had a very serious congenital condition. We were given many words about healing, um, and I clung on to those words, not because I didn't love and accept my baby unconditionally, um, but because I genuinely felt that would be the best thing for them. Um, I, I had to come to a point, though, where I had to allow God's dream to work out um, without controlling it. And um, there, was nothing, there was nothing wrong with the dream, but I needed to trust God for the dream and not try and control it. For myself and make it work out in the way that I wanted it to work out and in fact trying to control the dream can cause harm to the very people that we want to love and bless. I had to come to realize that holding on to the idea that a medical healing was best wasn't necessarily going to be best and to even um, impose that dream in that way onto my child was not helpful at the time and has not always been helpful. So what is the dream that God has given you? Does it seem like an impossible dream? That's okay. Abraham was given a promise that he would have as many children as the stars in the sky and the sand on the sea. And yet he was very old. The Bible says that he was as good as dead. Um, and so his dream is described as a hope against hope and also metaphorically as a resurrection from the dead. Perhaps we or people we know are living at a point of disappointment rather than a point pregnant with hope uh, because the dream often and sometimes turns into a nightmare. And like Mary, we need to hold on to that quiet, certain hope that God will and can do what he's promised. It's a difficult world, but he is mighty to save. 
just like Mary, there are times when we're going to need to treasure things in our hearts, those special, more spectacular moments when things go well, or where there's a word or an encouragement. And then there's going to be other times when we have to remember and cling on to those promises because everything looks as if it's going wrong. Mary's hope for God's deliverance was based solidly in her trust, in his love and commitment to them in the past. It was not just a hope for rescue from current circumstances, but a hope that Jesus was going to bring healing and transformation into an unjust world. That he was committed to them as an oppressed and suffering people. That God was going to bring down the proud and lift up the hungry, sorry, yeah, lift up the hungry and those who are humble. Whatever is going on, God sees us today. We have lots of dreams, don't we, individually and as a church. And um, I just want to come back to Anna and Simeon. And um, I was thinking about the prayer room and how that is such an amazing space for us as a church to be able to cry out to God for those dreams that he's given us as a church. Um, it's such a blessing to the community and I know that since COVID it hasn't been uh, used as much as when you had that initial, initial dream for it. Um, and I thought this morning as we're thinking about hope and reaching out to God um, in our waiting that it will be a really good for us to think maybe of challenging ways that we can um, get together in that prayer room. Think about ways, um, as small groups maybe, I challenge you to think of ways that you can maybe go in twos or threes or um, groups that are doing specific ministry things in the church um, and be able to use that space to cry out to God. Obviously, we don't need to be like Anna and Simeon and live in the temple. Certainly, the school are not going to allow us to live here. This is not the temple. Um, our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we don't need to go into a specific space to pray and cry out to God. But there is something very, very special and amazing about the gifting that he gives of special places and the dolphin pub as we know is a really really special special space so um, it'll be really good for um, us as a church to think about those dreams that God has planted in the community in our hearts and to um, hold on to them and to cry out to God to bring them about uh, because prayer is such an integral part of living in hope and living in that space of waiting for um, looking to see what God is going to do in terms of what he's promised. So there's a challenge.